You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We are continuing in our series through the book of Galatians. If you're just joining us, we've been in this for several weeks and have a handful more to go. In fact, we, we're going to slow down a bit because we're getting to this, the climax of this letter. And a really famous passage, likely the most a popular verse in all six chapters of Galatians, and that's chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. This is where we see the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is one of those verses, even if you don't know the book of Galatians or maybe you haven't even read it, you know that passage. You have heard it um, in places. It's right up there with uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's there with John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so here we are in Galatians chapter 5. Let's read Galatians 5.16 to 23. 26. 15, no, 16 to 26. You know what? Just follow along with me. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out together. But I say, walk by the Spirit... And you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's Word. It's so good to be mindful of this passage and meditative on this passage. And so we spend this week looking really at the, the forest of Galatians five twenty-two to 23. The, the, the broad kind of 30,000 foot view of, of this passage. And then the next three weeks, we're going to be kind of looking at the, the trees of the fruit of the Spirit. This means we'll take a, a closer look of really digging deep into each of these, the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, which I think is going to be really rewarding for us. You know, if we only read Galatians 5, to 23, that, that famous passage, um, and not the surrounding verses and not understanding the context. Uh, we never really talk about what needs to be seen in this passage. And that's really where we were last week, where Paul is talking about what does it mean to live as free people? What does it mean to exercise our freedom in Christ? Paul insists that being free in Christ, it doesn't mean that we are free to indulge every passion, every desire that we have. We're not free to indulge just every emotion that comes our way and say, well, God has saved me through grace and I believe and I trust in him and so, so I can do anything because I have grace and mercy from God. 
Because true freedom that comes from a place of rest in Christ, Christ will lead to love and service. It will lead to obedience, to compassion, to mercy. Freedom used for selfish gain is just a superficial kind of freedom. It's not real biblical Christian freedom in Christ. If you remember last week, Paul says, but real freedom is faith working through love. Faith working through love. There's something really interesting happening here that Paul talks about in his writings, and I just want you to appreciate it with me because this is, it's really astonishing. The Galatian church is being torn apart by those who want to follow rules and those who don't want to follow rules. Their church is being torn apart by two different perspectives and two different worldviews and ways of looking at the life in there that they're supposed to live. There's this one group, we call them the, the regulation group, the, the rule group, the law group. And they say there's a right thing to do. There's a thing that God has told us to do. There's evidence that we should do these things that God has said to do them. Uh, there, and then there's science that backs it up. And we have to do this and everyone has to abide by this. Each person should be responsible for themselves to do these things. And they take it too far and they make these laws and these rules and these standards and regulations as a means for morality, a means for their acceptance before God, a means for their security in the love of God. And then there's this other group. We'll call them the, the freedom group. They say, it may be so. These may be good and beneficial things to do. But if you take away my, my right to choose and you take away my very reason to live, we need to be responsible, each to their own. We each get to make our own decisions and then be accountable to our own decisions and bear the consequences of our own actions. Let me live my life and I'll let you live my life and leave everybody else alone. And these two groups are just fighting with each other, dividing each other. And Paul actually says you're like dogs that eat each other and just rip each other apart. This is how it was in the old days. This is how people, you know, we don't do that anymore in our culture. I want you to appreciate this with me because you have people that want to follow the rules and you have people that don't want to follow the rules and they are killing each other. And Paul says, neither following the rules nor rejecting the rules counts for anything. You can debate all day long. These two groups can debate all day long until you're blue in the face, face and both the rule followers and the rule rejectors will leave that argument thinking that they each won. Okay, I just can't stand those people. What's wrong with those people? Why don't they see it in the right way? Do you realize that, that the division in our culture today between those who see a certain way, this is the way to live and following the rules and doing what is right and those saying, don't tell me what to do, I'll do what I want, both think that they are right and both think that they are honoring God and they devour and eat up one another. And Paul is saying, neither matters. What matters is faith working itself out in love. Jesus wasn't a Republican. Jesus wasn't a Democrat. Jesus wasn't siding with one of these two different camps. And Paul is bringing into this debate, into the conversation, 
into our lives a whole new Christian way of living and how we relate to one another. And Paul throws a warning at both kinds of people. And he says, rule, rule followers are pretty horrible in the way that they demand that everybody obeys and, and adheres and complies. Can I get an amen? <laughs> That's the freedom group saying that, right? <laughs> and then Paul says, the rule rejectors can be pretty horrible in the way that they dismiss and disrespect and ignore can I get an amen? All right, that's the, that, that's, the, that's the rule group. Both are like dogs, he says, tearing one another apart. And this is kind of conflict between Christians in, in the church in Galatia, and it's the kind of conflict that, in, that endures today because people are people, and within our hearts, Paul says, there's a battle going on. And it, and it goes on within our hearts, within our human constitution. Because of our depravity of sin, because of our flesh, he says. Because of our nature that is within us to, to seek our own way, to tear each other apart. And God's word says that our ultimate motivation should not be rules nor freedom. It should not be science nor conscience. But the Spirit of God working through love should motivate our thoughts, our attitudes, our behaviors, our conduct with one another. Faith working through love. This is the heart and soul of Christian living. We ask ourselves, which way should we live? How should we live? This is the heart and soul, faith working through love. And what we will find that consistent with God's character and nature, there will be things on one side of the rule followers that we can deeply affirm and value, but also reject. And things on the freedom sign that, that we can value and celebrate and also reject. That's what God's word does. Galatians 5, to 23, the fruit of the Spirit is meant to, to confront our tendency that we have to, to swing to one extreme to the next. One end of thinking that the law will save us, and one end of thinking uh, that, that the, the, the rules are just a hindrance to everything, and we just need to live as free people and to live as we see fit. And those who say, I'm not under the law, I can do what I say, and the others that say that the rules are what save us, this is what will this is what will cure us. What's the answer to the madness of, of the tearing apart for the Galatian church? And what's the answer to the madness that's tearing apart the American church? It's love. And it's super simplistic. Right? It, feels, it feels like it's not enough. Yes, but what else? Love, but what else? But faith working through love is not a love that comes from within us. It's a love that comes from God through the Holy Spirit that has power to transform not just our lives, but, but our entire culture and existence in the world. I mean, this, this love, is, it's been so diluted. The word love and the concept of love has been so diluted in our culture. But when we see it from a perspective of God's word and his love, we see that there, there's nothing more than this. We don't get beyond the power and beauty of love. 
And this passage is ultimately about how we grow in love. It is ultimately about how we grow increasingly to live by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that is sent into our hearts to glorify God, to bring ourselves joy, to to transform the world. This power in us, the presence of God himself. How do we live by the, the Spirit of God? Paul says there's two natures. Two natures, as the Bible calls it, the flesh, right? The things, that, the, the things within us that are according to our sin nature. There's two, there's two natures within the life of every Christian, the spirit and the sinful nature. And in any given situation that you and I face in our day-to-day, we are either living by one or the other. We're living by according to the flesh or we're living according to the spirit. And Paul says, Recognize this, know this, be aware, self-aware that what's motivating you often at times is not the spirit of God working through love or faith working through love, but it is your flesh. Discern that, recognize that, and then yield to the spirit's leading in your life. And you can almost hear this dialogue happening between Paul and the people. What does that look like? Demonstrate that for me. What is God like? What does the spirit love? And he says, well, the, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, apart from which there is no law, nothing matters apart from these things, and then we've missed it. If we are not demonstrating these things, if these things are not being manifested in our life, then, then we've missed the whole point of the Christian life. And what we learn right away in this passage is this battle, this battle, it's about desire. It's about what we want, seeking our own way. Our sinful nature and the Spirit's desires, I mean, they're opposed to one another. That's what Paul says. They don't want what, he, what the other one wants, and so they fight. And the Spirit's desire is for us to be transformed into the image of God, and the flesh's desire is to have what we want. Our sinful nature and desires, uh, it, it, these keep us from what we really want, whatever, what the Christian really wants, and that's the love of God, enjoying the love of God, living in the love of God. But walking in the Spirit is what enables us to be what God has called us to be, designed us to be. Um, not long ago, I reflected on a popular book that's in, that it's in our home, and actually not just in our home, but, but many homes around the world, uh, because I learned that the author of this book uh, died this year. And so it caused me just to think about the impact of this author. His name was uh, Eric Carle, who wrote The Hungry Caterpillar. That's right. <laughs> I see some head nods. Yes, we know. Yeah, you have that book, The Hungry. If you have little ones in your home, you have The Hungry Caterpillar. And he died this year, and so got to read about him a little bit and just reflect on his impact. And here's the book, pretty simply, right? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the caterpillar just eats and eats and eats and eats and eats and gets really fat, builds a cocoon sleeps for two weeks, uh, can't move because he's so fat, and then you turn the page and it's like, boom, caterpillar turns into a butterfly, beautiful. And it's such a dramatic turn, right? It's like, you open the page and if you're reading this with a little kid, it's like, it's amazing and it's amazing. You're not as excited about this as I am, but let me, here's the point, like we need to be, like this needs to be astonishing. We read, do you realize like this transformation this metamorphosis that like a caterpillar goes through, this, this, this beautiful thing that happens in nature and we just, we, we just think about it as if it's like a normal thing. 
oh yeah, then they eat, they build a cocoon, then it becomes an entirely different animal altogether. This is crazy. This is beautiful. I wonder, does this caterpillar have the, you know, the cognition to understand what's happening to him in that moment? What's the, when, what's the first moment of the first, of course they don't, but what's the first realization that like, I'm not a caterpillar anymore. I'm a new creation. I am a, a butterfly. I can fly. I mean, you're this thing that's, you're this worm that's crawling very, very slow. And all of a sudden you wake up and you could fly. Okay. The transformation <laughs> that the spirit accomplishes in us is so powerful. It's, it's like that. It's not just we become better people. It's not that we become enhanced people. We become an entirely new creation and we don't think about it as much as we should. Well, God will help me to be better. God will help me to be kinder. God will help me to be more patient. No, you have, you have been indwelled by the power and presence of God that changes your entire being altogether. It is dramatic and beautiful and majestic and radical. And if, that, if, if it hasn't happened in you, we should diagnose our hearts. We should look at our life. We should look at this list, the fruit of the Spirit, the presence of God in our life and ask ourselves, am I living according to God's purpose for my life? Am I walking in step with the Spirit? Do I trust Him? Do I walk with Him? Have I seen this change in my life? Our passage is about the fruit of the Spirit, and it gives us a, a, a metaphor, the fruit. It's a metaphor for thinking about how the Spirit works in the lives of God's people. And let's talk about a few of those kind of unpacking this passage. Again, this is like a big forest, 30,000 foot view. The next three weeks, we're gonna get into more of like looking at the trees and more specific. But here is this metaphor. And the first one I think we should think about is that Christian growth is gradual. Christian growth is gradual. It doesn't happen all at once. We don't trust in Jesus and then boom, we're a butterfly. We've been transformed. I mean, God's work in us is, is gradual. You may look at the list, say, okay, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You look at that list, and you're thinking, man, I need to go fruit shopping. I need to go to the grocery store and, and buy some of this because I'm really good in some and, and really, really struggling in others. Um, you might look at the list and think, I, I need to get better at like half of them, maybe two-thirds of them. I just need to be more self-controlled, and then I'll be able to fix it. Transformation is not accomplished through a 30-minute sermon. It's not accomplished through 30-minute sermons two or three times a week on a Sunday. Real transformation is through the work of the Spirit in our lives daily as we yield to God, as we trust in Him, as we rest in Christ, as we, as we are present with our, uh, the battle that we are in every day, recognizing that our flesh wants one thing, but God has called us to another, and it is choosing in obedience to confess in our sins, repent in our sins, yield to God's power in our life, and leading in our life, and choosing that, and it's doing that a thousand times a day for our entire life, and gradually growing over time. You know, think of a time when you struggle. 
Think of a time when you're, you know, you're not exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. And, and what kind of situations uh, do you find yourselves in? What, what kind of situations do you think, feel, and act in a way that is led by the desires of your flesh? Is it you know, when you go out on the weekends with your friends? Is it, is it you know, when you're at home? Is it when you're at work? Is it when you're tired, when you're hungry? Um, it, what, what, what situations do you find yourselves in when, you, when you're in that, te- that temptation is more powerful and you are, you're, you're tempted to be led by the flesh rather than the spirit? What makes you angry? What makes you impatient? What makes you unloving? What makes you unkind? What makes you lose joy? What, w- what situations do you feel yourself losing control? Oh, that's just my personality. I just say whatever's on my mind. No, you don't have any self-control. <laughs> Heard that a lot growing up. That's just what the Germans do. What, not be filled with the Spirit? <laughs> that's what I heard a lot growing up. You see, God cares about these struggles. He cares about those moments. He cares about the times when we're feeling, I'm, I'm lacking self-control, I'm lacking love, I'm lacking patience. God, I'm not demonstrating the life that you, have, that you demonstrate, that you have put in me, and my flesh is at war with your spirit and your purposes. God cares about that. He cares about those struggles. He doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. He sends us his Holy Spirit to help us in our times of temptation. And it's in these times that we are called to choose the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is not a passive process. It's not just something that we we let go and kind of let God, so to speak. It's a daily discipline. It's a daily choosing. The language here is to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Paul uses all three of these sentences. Walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. It sounds like it sounds like there is this invitation to obedience. It's this invitation to pay attention. It's an invitation to live our life on purpose, like to be purposefully aware of the, the dynamics, the dynamics that are going on inside of our heart every day. Paul's saying, You've been taught by me. Now apply to your, this to yourself on, on Sunday, but not just Sunday, but but on, on Monday morning and Saturday afternoon and and Sunday at lunch after church and Friday night. Apply these things. Walk in step with God. It's a lifetime process, a lifetime process of faith, of a commitment to daily change, a lifetime commitment of daily dependency on God, confession of sin, trusting in hope. You know, think of the way that God gives us daily reminders that we need him. Nighttime is a daily reminder of our dependency on God. Every time we, the nighttime comes and we grow tired, every time we sleep, our bodies are confessing to God that we need him, that we are not God because our bodies are tired and we need to go to sleep. And if we don't sleep, our bodies will literally shut down. That is a daily reminder. When you get tired, let that be a reminder to you that you need God. Eating is a daily reminder of our need for consistent care for the body. And if we stop eating, we will, it won't be long till we lose our cognitive capacity, our emotional and physical systems. They all just shut down. 
When you get hungry, let that be a reminder that we are dependent on God every single day, multiple times a day. Faith is it's worked out in these daily opportunities, recognizing our depravity and our need for God, and, and recognizing, God, there's something inside of me that doesn't want to follow you. My heart, my flesh, my, my, my sin nature, just it wants what, what I want. And frankly, I want those things too. And so it's this daily, multiple time a day reminder and opportunity to trust in him. It doesn't happen all at once, but it happens. And that's important to remember. The spirit is a living person who magnifies the work of Jesus in our life, putting to death sin and resurrecting to life, new life and new creation. The spirit is a person, not this magical force, right? It's a, it's a person, the Holy Spirit is God who magnifies the work of Jesus. And even though it's, it's gradual, here's, the, here's some encouragement for us, it's also inevitable that this, the, the, the fruit being worked out in our life and the growth in our life, it's an, an, an inevitable thing. If the Spirit of God is in a person's life, that person will bear fruit. You're thinking, oh, I just don't, I don't see these things in, these, in, a, in a functional way in my life. I don't see this fruit. I trust in God and I keep pressing in and, and I just, I'm just feeling discouraged. Let this, be a, let this be an encouragement to you that God is working in you, that he will complete what he has begun in your life, that he will continue to develop his purposes in you. The Christian life isn't as complicated as we make it. The law of God uh, multiple times in scripture is boiled down. All of that, what God desires is boiled down and summed up in this simple way. Love God, love others. Now I know it's a lot more difficult to, to, to live that out and to exercise that, but to understand that, what does God desire of us? To love him, to love others. To love him and to receive his Holy Spirit and let, that, let his presence live out in our life as it's demonstrated to others. Faith working itself out through love. The Spirit gives the power and desire to love God and others, the power and desire to oppose a life of selfishness. Love. Love is the first one listed here. It's the greatest of all the fruit of the Spirit. Some would say it's even a summation of all the fruit of the Spirit, that love is really just, without love you can do nothing, right? If we can do all of these things, but if we have not love, then we have nothing, Paul says. And so love is, could be just a summary of it all. It's the greatest feature of the kingdom of God. It's the mark of a true follower of Christ. If you love one another by this, the world will know that you are disciples of Jesus. It contains the whole of all God desires and requires of us, we receive his love. He pours out his love on Jesus on the cross and we are to give love to others. It means sacrificially living for the flourishing of others. Joy. Joy is a, a delight in God for who he is and what he has done. It's a delighting ourselves. God, you, you have done this for me and my heart is filled with joy. Joy doesn't mean it's not circumstantial. It doesn't mean it doesn't, it's not like happiness that kind of changes, but joy is that kind of that rock, bed, that bedrock of, of uh, unshakable trust in God, of what he has done, that we can have joy even in the midst of sorrow and suffering. Peace is that confidence that, of a soul rest 
that when the world is chaotic around us, we have this soul rest in the wisdom and plans of God, that God means well for me. He, his plans are good for me, and that gives me peace. It gives me rest. Patience, right? So it's the, it's the ability to encounter conflict without blowing the lid. <laughs> it's the ability to go into tense situations and conversations without losing our cool. Kindness is that practical acts of service to others, not out of envy, like not out of wanting something from them, getting something from them, or not, but it's about rejoicing in their joy. Kindness is motivated by the joy that we have in them being joyful. And so we act in kindness. Goodness you know, you can be the same person in two different circumstances. You're not a hypocrite. You're not phony, but you're, you're just, your goodness is this trueness to it. Faithfulness is to be relied on, relied on by others and having integrity, true to your word. Gentleness is not puffed up, but humble and mild. And self-control is the ability to prioritize the important over the urgent these are just a really brief definition of what this looks like. This is, this is who God is. It's his nature. This is his personhood. I think that when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, we get a deep sense of how much we lack in these things. That's my experience. I look at this list and I don't think, wow, two-thirds, not bad. I, I think, is there a li- another list? <laughs> I'm more like the, 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 the flesh list than I am the list of the Spirit. Now, on one hand, this is encouraging. It really is. If you're looking at the list and you're feeling guilt, if you're feeling shame, if you're feeling like a failure, on one hand, this is encouraging because you may see that your sinful nature is very strong and relentless to tempt you, to get you off track, And the encouraging thing is, is that the power of the Spirit is stronger than your temptation. Because you know, and and the Galatian readers know, and Paul knows, and God knows, that we are tempted and we struggle and we feel like failures a lot. But Paul is saying, this is is an inevitable process of growth that God will give to all of his followers. And therefore, the power of the Spirit is greater than our sin. The power of the Spirit is greater than the power of the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that means that God who dwells in you is stronger and more triumphant than the sin that dwells in us, the temptation outside of us that that influences us to, to seek our own desires. This is encouraging. It gives me comfort. Okay, God is winning. God will win. God has promised to accomplish his work in me, and I don't have to give up hope even when I see struggle in my own life because the Spirit of God is dedicated to manifesting the life of Christ in every single one of his believers, every one of us. He will do it. He is committed to it. We will be perfect When he comes, we are told that we will be perfect. We will be as he has meant us to be. It's also challenging, on the other hand, right? That's that's obvious. It's not just encouraging, it's challenging. It should cause us to ask ourselves, if I'm a Christian, is fruit growing? 
Are all these present in my life? Am I, am I, am I increasing? In, are they increasing in their prominence in my life? Am I growing? Am I growing? If I look back on the last one, ten years of my life of walking with Jesus, do I see a, a growth in the direction of, of these fruits? You see, we are saved by faith, not fruit. This is very important. We are saved by faith, not fruit, but saving faith will always bear fruit. You've heard me talk so much about grace. I hope that it makes you sick, right? I hope that it makes you nauseous to hear about the gospel and that God saves us by faith, not by our fruit. But there's a point in this narrative, this this passage here, where Paul gets to it, okay, but there's a way to abuse your freedom in Christ, and that is to not grow at all because you think that God doesn't care. He does care. In fact, the very purpose for which you have been saved is to demonstrate this fruit. Holiness, obedience, the glory of God to demonstrate the life of Christ that is in you. And it's an inevitable process because if a cup is filled with contents with water, it will overflow if it really has a full contents in there. And so when the Spirit is filled in us, it will have a natural progression outward. How are you doing? Is the Spirit of God flowing out of your life? If I told you that I had an encounter with God, and he entered my body, and he gave me supernatural ability to be an incredible basketball player. Wouldn't you expect to see amazing improvement in my jump shot? Amazing improvement in my defense. Amazing improvement in my free throw line. Amazing speed on the court. And if I told you that the, the spirit of Kareem has come into my life and made me a supernaturally gifted basketball player, and I was just mediocre? Would you believe me? See, this is what Christians claim. Christians claim that we were once caterpillars just crawling along, and God has changed our life, and now we are a dynamic, beautiful, majestic butterfly able to fly. Wouldn't you expect to see some changes? This is what Christians believe, that the very Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives within us. These are bold claims. An encounter with God, the indwelling of the Spirit, gives us supernatural ability to resist sin and live in faith. That's what we claim. So shouldn't we see it? You know, John reminds us in John 15 that we bear fruit by abiding in him. You know, we're never told to bear fruit. We are never commanded to bear fruit. Instead, we are commanded to abide in Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. But a lot of us are looking at the fruit and saying, okay, I gotta go get the fruit, I gotta get the fruit, I gotta be more patient, I gotta be more loving, I gotta be more kind, I gotta be more gentle, why can't I just be more self-controlled? And we just try to do better. And it, for some reason it doesn't work. The reason it doesn't work is because we're, we're looking, we're looking to ourselves to get only what God can give us. We're not commanded to bear fruit. We're commanded to abide in Christ. We're commanded to trust in him. 
We're commanded to rest in what he's accomplished for us. And we, we abide in Christ by keeping in step with the Spirit. Verse 24 describes that in this process is the crucifixion of the flesh. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. We, we put to death those desires. We trust in Jesus. We recognize what he has done for us and our identification with us. And we actively pursue a life of resisting sin and temptation and walking with Christ. That's what abiding means. It means that by faith, we regularly say no to our sinful desires, especially as we see the temptation approaching, and we regularly repent of our sins that we find in our life. And like I said before, this requires each of us to be incredibly aware, present, like on purpose, focused on the condition of our inner life. When you lose your cool, when you fail to be patient or loving, we should know what is going on in me at this moment. What am I thinking about? Oh, I'm just so annoyed. Why are you annoyed? Because they're just doing it this way. So what is it about them doing that that way that makes you so annoyed? I just want them to be like me, okay? Oh, okay. Now we're getting somewhere. I hate it when my life's out of control. I hate it when things are out of my hands. Do not envy. Do not be conceited. Do not devour one another. But faith working out in love. When we do this, Jesus promises to have his fruit grow in our life. Uh, next, uh, we look at this, as we continue in this metaphor, the spiritual fruit is rooted in the heart. We've talked a little bit about this. Much of what we're talking about can seem like head knowledge. You know, we look at the fruit of the Spirit, and it's all about kind of being, being somebody that looks like this and be head knowledge, but real Spirit-empowered growth is a heart issue. The work of the Spirit is not about personality traits. It's not about temperament. It could feel like that. Temperaments, right? Someone who's kind and calm and patient. It's like a personality trait, but it's not about that. I'm going to really throw, I'm going to really throw you for a loop here. You can be kind without the Holy Spirit. You can be patient and not be a Christian. You can be self-controlled and it has nothing to do with Jesus at all. This is not about personality. The distinguishing work of the Spirit is about real heart change. There's a wrong way to look at this list of characteristics, both for the, the flesh-led person and the Spirit-led person. A person does not lose heaven by failing to be these things, and a person doesn't get heaven by becoming these things. Our hope is not in this list. It's in Jesus and what he has done for us. And this, these things will come as we trust in him. Does that a little bit? You can say amen. You can nod your head. Just let me know you're alive. <clears throat> we can do not let this list be a list of check boxes to now go home and be better at. There's one checkbox. There's one box to live by. And it is faith in Christ working through love. Real spiritual growth is only possible through a grace-changed heart. Here's an example. Suppose you have a bunch of apples 
You go to the grocery store to get a bunch of apples because your apple tree has died. And you take some of those Christmas wire and you hook the apples on the tree and you're like, oh, fruit. I love this. This, there's this. this apple tree looks good. Does this make the tree alive? No. The apples do not give life. They are a sign that the tree is alive. Following this list will not give you life. No more than just hanging apples on a dead apple tree gives it life. This list is a sign that you're alive in Christ. A spirit-empowered life will always produce fruit, and this fruit will grow together. Fruit here is singular. The fruit of the Spirit are all of these nine things. What? what? Like they're really bad at grammar back then. No, this is purposeful here. The fruit, it's a singular term. There's a work that the Spirit does in a person's life that is, that is whole, that is complete. If we are growing in one fruit and not another, that's a good indication that we are growing in that one fruit on our own power and not God's. We're trying to check a box. We're relying on our natural ability. For instance, if you look at your list and say, I'm really, really kind, but not self-control, it's possible that you're just kind because that comes naturally to you. You're kind because that's just in your personality. You're not empowered by the Spirit. You're just empowered by your natural ability. Real heart change will change the whole heart. When we see sin in our life, we need to trace it to its root in a previous home, uh, one of our neighbors uh, had a tree growing next to our dividing wall, our brick dividing walls, planted too close. And so therefore, you know, it happens. After 10 years or so, the roots start to grow up and the wall starts to crack. It becomes uh, insecure and, and it can topple. And uh, so it's dangerous, right? And there's an the idea that they're like, well, we just want to patch up the wall. So you have this crack in the wall and they're like, okay, if the crack is the problem, let's uh, just put some stucco over the crack. Problem solved. It was like, no, we want you to rip down the wall. We want you to tear out the roots. We want you to replant the tree. And we want you to rebuild the wall. Why? Because the temporary fix of just putting stucco over the crack, right? They needed to dig up the whole wall. Because the problem is at the root. The problem is often at so much more what, what is below the surface in our life. If we are prone to temp, be tempted in one of these sins or another, one of these fruits of the Spirit are lacking, it is because it's a heart issue. It's not... It's not a fruit issue. It's always much deeper than our behavior. You're not just, you don't, have a, you don't struggle with, with, with uh, self-control. You struggle with trusting in Jesus. How do, we, how do we walk by the Spirit? Let me give you three things to close us up this morning, some application. How do we walk by the Spirit? Remember that you belong to Jesus. Remember that you belong to Christ. Verse 24 says, if we belong to Christ, right? we, we are supposed to be reminded that we are rescued by Christ. We're saved by Christ. He loves us. All, all the, the previous five chapters in Galatians, we should not forget. What was this all about? It is that for freedom we have been set free. That we are saved by grace through faith. That we are not special to God because of our behavior. Let's not throw all of those things out when we now come to the fruit of the Spirit and say, oh, I need to be better. No, we need to remember that we belong to Jesus. He loves us and the full affection of God is ours. Remember all the things that you have because of Christ. All that is his is yours. 
He loves us. We are loved by God in the same way that God loves Jesus because we are called sons of God. Do you remember that passage? It seemed like forever ago. It was like two weeks ago. But when we come to God's law and things to do and rules in the Bible, it seems like we forget all those things about grace and we say, okay, I needed to be better at this. Yes, we struggle with this fruit. We struggle with that fruit. All the more reason to remind ourselves that God loves us in spite of our failure. God is bigger than your sinful desires. He doesn't address our sin from a distance, but he initiates with us. He lived among us. He lives, us, lives in us now by faith to transform us into his image. Another thing, so remember that, remember that you belong to Jesus. Another, confess your sin to God. How do we walk by the Spirit? You want to take a step walking with God. We cannot do that without confessing and repenting of our sins. Where have you neglected to walk with God? Where have you not been on purposely focused and aware of the struggles in your own heart? Where have you neglected sin or its presence of sin in your life? Where have you failed to ask for God's continued help as you grow? Confession is not just acknowledging where you went wrong. It's actually affirming what's right. God, I, I chose to do this, but you are a God of truth and righteousness and goodness and I failed to do this. I did this when I should have done this. I'm sorry. Help me to trust in you and to walk in obedience. Christ is not only bigger than our sin, he's, he's better than our sin. He's opposed to our sin because he's better. And as when we see sin, we're meant to see God as better for us than what our sin can give us. Third, commit to a lifetime of change. Remember that we belong to Jesus. Confess and repent of our sin to God regularly and commit to a lifetime of change. It doesn't happen overnight. Transformation is not accomplished in a moment, in a 30-minute sermon. Real transformation is through the work of the Spirit as we yield to him. This isn't an intellectual exercise. It is a reminder of the depth and level of transformation that God will accomplish in our life through his spirit. It's also a reminder where our focus ought to be on the work that he has accomplished for us. This passage is, is encouragement for the legalist. You know, it's the one who loves the law, the, the one who loves to color inside the lines and expects everybody else to color inside the lines. This is good for the legalist. This is also good for the moralist. You know, the, the moralist is the person that wants to do right, but deep down inside you know that you are bad and you're, you know that you do bad things. You know that you fail, but you really want to be good, but you keep failing and so you feel like a loser. The hypocrite is the one that's so insecure that their life doesn't match their confession. They say one thing and do another. The non-Christian, this is good for the non-Christian. The non-Christian is the one who doesn't call on God for help. And I want you to know that you're called into a relationship with Christ and God that is so transformative, so beautiful, so good. You don't have to follow all the rules in order to be loved, but you're loved even, because, even though you have failed. He calls you into a relationship with him that frees you from the power of the flesh and brings you into a relationship defined by his love. So we trust in his work for us. We enter into this necessary rhythm 
trusting, confessing, and walking in step with him.